That 85% of your engine wear occurs at startup? Yes, that is correct. And this is where Lower the Friction comes in by putting a protective, lubricating barrier on all moving parts. This now gives you full time protection to make your engine last longer, run smoother, give you better performance, and improve fuel economy. People across the country are reporting some very exciting results. Go to lowerthefriction.com, place your order, and enter in promo code SOS to get 5% off of your order. That's lowerthefriction.com. All right, and hello everyone! Welcome to the weekly Secrets of Saturn livestream. I am Jason Lindgren, your host, in case you've been living under a rock. Joining me this week are, in no particular order, Wayne McCroy... The Great Baldini, Crow777, and a new person. His name is JMO, who also has his own YouTube channel. And we are going to be discussing the history of your internet history. And what exactly that means. We're going to walk through time and talk about the conception of the internet and all the way up to today and what you probably, or at least there's a good chance, might not know about it. But before we do that, let's talk about the 9-11 project. So Baldini or Crow, whichever, wants, whichever of you wants to take it away, Gravy Jesus passes the baton. Crow, you you or me? Well, you, go, you, you name it. I'm going to sip well, my strawberry we, hibiscus. So we should just outline what the idea is, but then help people to understand the mechanics. It's not that hard to take a picture, but if they don't go at it in the right way, I'm guessing the result won't be much. Won't be, yeah, won't be as effective. Um, so the basic premise is uh, that, again, we talked about this a number of weeks ago, uh, that uh, sometime back a couple of years ago, uh, there was a person who inadvertently caught on their television screen. They were taking a selfie with a dumb phone, like a flip phone, uh, and they um, – managed to capture uh, an embedded frame, just a white image with uh, just a white background with black letter that said murder. 
so um, it, it was uh, interesting. And so they we, it was verified uh, that this was sort of embedded. Now, we know that uh, with the frame rate and the flicker rate that's used on modern uh, displays, uh, usually a minimum of 60 frames uh, or, you know, 60 um, per second. Some of them are up to 120 or even more. Uh, so uh, the idea is we want to try to capture something. And it was Crow's idea that we might capture something around this anniversary date that we're approaching. Uh, so to film your television um, screen, uh, perhaps news reports, just, um, you know, anything that you feel kind of compelled to do, we figure the more people we have, the better chance we have of capturing something interesting. Uh, and there are a few uh, technical things to, to kind of take into consideration there. Again, if you're filming, uh, rather than taking static images, um, you may have some better results because you'll get a variety of different frames uh, that you can kind of go through and uh, you can set your um, your shutter speed uh, such that you're catching in between those frames. Uh, if you're doing it just static images, again, you've got to set um, the, the shutter speeds such that you won't catch multiple frames because uh, if you do you might just get a spillover and you won't be able to really get anything clear um crow you want to add to that on the technical side yeah just so you understand what we're trying to do it's my view that shooting video of the tv screen will be less useful than shooting stills that's my assumption um here's the way you can think about it if you were to look at the back of your television, there would be a hertz rate. It would say, you know, 60 hertz or 100 hertz or 120 hertz. What that's basically informing you is that the picture on your screen is blinking in your face that many times a second. If it's 100 hertz, 100 times a second, that screen is blinking. Now, what this means is there are all these flashes that could be carriers of information. Uh, there's all these other ideas like interlacing and this and that, but here's the main idea. So you take a camera and you set the frame rate as fast as you can. Uh, for Jason's T3i, he can get one four thousandth of a second. So when he clicks it, it'll snap, it'll open up and snap shut again in one four thousandth of a second. Now here's the rub. If there's not enough light, that will be too quick and you get a black frame. But if you darked out your room and let the TV project light into your camera, I'm reasonably sure as quick as you can get your shutter to go, it will, it will happen. Now, here's the idea. If you have a camera where you can go click, 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 click automatically, that's great. Otherwise, you've got to do them one at a time. At the high frame rate, you, for the most part, don't have to worry. You need a tripod or something, but it probably won't be blurry with a high frame rate. What you're trying to do is, by chance, basically, because it's too quick for us to see, catch the data that's being encoded in the video frame in the quick frames that only our subconscious picks up. That's the idea. Yep. And uh, again, so, yeah, I think you're going to get uh, better results if you do take static frames. Again, you can get some results with filming. You can try a few things and test it out, you know, first. Um, and so you could also even um, use like a DVR, that sort of thing, if you can go frame by frame. But you're less likely, as Crow said, to get anything interesting because they're going to uh, adjust the frame rate such that when you play it back frame by frame, you wouldn't get those interlaced um, medium frames, like intermediate, um, intermediate frames. Then uh, that's probably where those things are hidden, right? So uh, you using uh, still images gives you the best chance of catching something interesting. Uh, and then I've got, I've put in the um, chat a couple of times uh, an email address, the 911 photo project at gmail.com. Uh, hit me up with that and I'll, then I'll give you if you've got anything interesting. Um, uh, again, so we, we anticipate some rather large files and I've got um, some web uh, folders lined up for you. Uh, so rather than just give out those web folders, if you get anything interesting, send me an email uh, and then I'll give you a link to that folder where you can upload that material. And so tell me what the 
what it is, uh, what the source material is, and I'll point you to the appropriate folder. Uh, we'd also like to capture uh, the EXIF data, which is uh, all the you know information about the camera, um, frame rates, um, all the details about that, and then of course, uh, if you can as well, include the uh, model number of your of the. Um, television or monitor that you're shooting from, uh, its frame rates, that sort of thing. So we can try to uh, capture all that material. Uh, but uh, the more people that uh, do it, the better chance we have of catching something interesting. There, there's one more thing to add so that people think about this properly. I don't know. I haven't looked in so long. I don't know what the frame rate of TV is, but I assume it's between 24 and 30 frames a second. Yes. Like when we used to go in the golden age of Hollywood, those films were playing at 24 frames a second. I, I'm guessing probably 30, close to 30 frames video a second. Is, video is usually 30 frames a second with drop frame, so it's 29.997. Yeah, the, um, yeah. yeah. So, but, so, mm-hmm. so what I'm saying here is if you consider every second 30 frames are going by, yet the image is refreshing up to 100 times. Do you see the potential? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 120, all those carrier blinks that could carry data. That's what you're after. Right, um, and the minimum and, these days is usually 60 frames, right? So 60 yeah, hertz right. is usually is the minimum refresh rate. So that's twice the amount of what the frame rates they're telling you, right? Which means they could put something in every other one. Now, you, again, the way that the eye works, it would create a little confusion, but they certainly could flip, uh, drop in one every five, something like that, which you'd never know uh, at a conscious level. So what is which it we're trying to show here? The, it's kind of like they live. We're going to show what is beneath right. the carrier wave. That's literally what we're trying to do here. That's correct. Yep. The the lower the hertz rate on the television, the better your odds are, probably. All right. Yeah, I, seemingly. I so. think we have a good uh, good good basis there. Anybody want to? Anything else you want to contribute to that, or do we want to move on to the topic for tonight? Uh, I'll just uh, randomly again drop that uh, email address into the um, into the chat. Again, it's just pretty straightforward. The 911. Those are numbers. The 911 photo project at gmail.com. Uh, email me and uh, let me know that you've caught something. Uh, go through it first if you can. It'll save us some time because we're I'm already overloaded. Uh, but if you catch something interesting, um, again, let let me know. I'll send you access uh, to the folder and you can upload it and then we'll take it from there. All right, let's move on to the topic tonight. JMO, welcome aboard. First uh, night with us ever. Maybe uh, maybe the first of many. Who knows, right? Right, excellent. Thank you very much for having me on. So we were talking about this the other night and why we're doing this. Do you want to give a quick uh, whatever you want to give as your actual background as to why you know what you're talking about in regards to this? Uh, well, I guess I'm a self-proclaimed amateur computer scientist. You know, uh, I'm basically uh, programming is my background, uh, some hardware, circuitry building, things like that. I'm kind of a maker slash hacker type of thing. Not like a not like a uh, malicious hacker, more of a like, you know, uh, security hacker, things like that. You know, what they call a white hat systems, stuff like that. A white hat. Correct. Correct. Cool. And uh, basically since we're going over the, uh, the history of everyone's internet history, I kind of wanted to conceptualize a few things. Uh, first, the internet. Uh, you know, many of us already know, but some of us may not, that uh, the, the first use of the internet or where it became the idea for the internet was from CERN. I'm sure everybody's hip to CERN. Uh, and basically, it had to do with that computers were so limited in their ability to process data that they had to be able to have multiple multiple computers collecting data simultaneously 
but also organizing it in a way that it was searchable and, you know, coherent when they actually come back to look at it. Uh, the sure, other ARPA, thing ARPA that we, net from DARPA, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was right. non-centralized, right? So it would be able to be, um, they could continue nodes if something got blowed up <laughs> from, a mili- exactly. from a military it standpoint. A if, it is a yes. redundant, daisy-chained network. Exactly. Exactly. Now, that redundancy in these nodes, that's, uh, I want to touch on this. So a lot of people do not understand how computers work. Now, computers, only everything a computer does, there is a text file log created because it must read these instructions it must create this this data and it, it usually comes down to a text file and then it sends it to a destination that another computer takes that text file and copies it and if it doesn't if the address it's going to isn't that computer's it then sends it on to another computer that copies it and this is why your information, uh, this is what Google does. So Google has multiple servers. Uh, if you think about it, let's use the analogy of a, a block and everybody's houses and your mailbox is your internet connection, right? So you put a letter in your mailbox or you send data over the network. It gets picked up out of your mailbox. Instead of going directly to the destination, let's say the house mailbox at the end of the street, that piece of mail is going to go through these nodes, just like he has, he had mentioned. So that piece of mail goes from your mailbox to your neighbor's mailbox to the next mailbox until it reaches its destination. Uh, every time a computer handles it, it's copying it and making a text record of it, whatever it was, uh, timestamps, all these things. That's how computers work. They must be told very specific instructions. Now, how far back in time are we talking uh, about here that that it worked this way? Are we talking about current systems or this is the way it always would have worked even in the 1960s when you just had giant tape machines uh, at different universities yakking at each other with things that go burp, burp. Right. Uh, In the beginning, uh, it was more of an ad hoc connection between computers. You would actually use dial-up modems over the phone and you would dial a phone number with an analog modem on it and you would send files directly to that machine. Uh, that would be the 56K dial-up way that oh, the internet worked. Once you, ben, I'm old enough right. that we did, we did it at 400 <laughs> baud. Like, really? I had a 300 oh, baud modem when I was a kid. More like a fax modem on the computer. Yes, no, even I had one of those for my Apple too. 400 baud. And, uh, then oh. was, and then it was a super step up when it went to 2600K. Um, and that oh, was wow. 2600. Yeah, so we're talking, I'm old. <laughs> I have oh, somewhere yeah. at my mom's house a 300 baud modem for the old okay, Atari yeah. 800 computers. And literally, yeah. I would go on BBS boards. This is when I was in high school, uh, when I was fiddling around with this, at that time, old junk. And literally, it would be a character appearing one at a time, going blip, 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 blip. Yes. <laughs> I worked, when I worked for the Tandy Corporation, uh, and I did uh, wrote some database management, um, relational databases for them, uh, we passed information between buildings at 400 baud, um, way <laughs> before there was any LAN or anything like that. And um, it was faster than carrying it across town. Right, because we were <laughs> we were all over Fort Worth, Texas, so it was faster than that. But it would take all day to send a text file. Yeah, right, right. Just to put some context, now, on, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. And now, in today's version of the internet, uh, what has actually sped the internet up? Uh, what this is, 
uh, let's say, you know, the internet is something that is very geographically based. So uh, most users of the internet through your browser, uh, depending on your geographic and your language, you get your specific part of the internet that is geographically uh, coming from servers that are close to you or on your continent. That's your most people's standard internet. Uh, what Google does to make searches faster is that they put their servers everywhere and every time you upload data to the internet, their Google bots and crawlers take it and copy it to every single one of their servers so that when someone searches on Google, they can find your website because it's cached or indexed is that on called a spidering? server that is owned by Google. I'm sorry? Is that called spidering? Uh, kind of. Kind of. Uh, spidering is, it's kind of a bot crawler term, right, uh, where it takes and basically spidering is, say, like you go into an IP range and it's going to creep off against every single address that comes from there and it's going to keep doing that until it basically, you know, there's devices being added to the internet every day, uh, new addresses. So basically, Google just keeps adding these addresses and keeps indexing them. So part of that, part of the thing that people don't understand, uh, you know, when you think about physicality of something and ownership, uh, when you upload your data to, uh, you know, uh, say... Facebook, whatever, uh, you send pictures to the internet. What Google does is they take copies from those and basically copy it to all of their servers. Now, they own these physical servers, right? So basically at that point, they own your data. They own the data, even though it originated from you, the user, once you have put this information on the internet, it's basically going to, uh, you know, uh, put itself closer to anybody that might search it. So when someone in another country searches it, it is going to be basically uh, less time for them to resolve it, right? And that's what Google does. So what makes Google the, the great big enemy that we all know and love? Oh, one second. One moment, guys. One second. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was don't be evil. Yeah, but they were lying. So, you know. <laughs> because evil they lies. Told, they were lying. <laughs> no, they told the truth until 1999 when those inverted sixes came to be. They threw it out the window. Hey, let's party like it's 21 years ago. <laughs> right. Anyways, guys, so that leftover basically, <laughs> Google's copying all of your information. Uh, the thing that people don't understand, uh, they think, well, computers, this, that, and the other. Your mobile phone is a computer. It is on the Internet. It is on these networks. Every bit of data from your phone calls, your text, your, everything that goes through your phone is being indexed across the Internet the same as standardized data, websites, and the such. Even though it's not connected to what they would call the surface web, it is being indexed the same. Because these things that, these programs that do this, they really do it indiscriminately. They basically index and copy to Google servers 
any data that is freshly put to the internet. Okay, so JMO, just um, gloss for the audience what indexing is. Uh, so indexing, so that comes from the term. So a website, the first page that you would land on is the index. Now, if that server like a table of contents, is, right? Say, uh, basically, it's the home page, right? It's the landing page, and that's your that's where your menu is for your website. Well, I'm just trying but, uh, to break this down to the simplest so. terms as possible, so that anybody who's just really doesn't know anything about anything can be like, oh, okay, I get the concept. Okay, indexing. Think of a uh, think of the internet as a rolodex, right? Uh, geographic locations A through Z. If you put data on the internet in A. Google's going to index it and copy it to every single A, B, C, D, E, F, G. They're going to index it to all the geographics so that when someone searches for that data, it's quicker. It's quicker to be picked up. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So they cache, they basically that, make a cache of that. They cache it, exactly. And they cache it on their servers that are local to where you're at. And that's why it speeds up the internet. That's right. how they speed it, up the internet. It drastically reduces the search times because they don't have to go look for it every time. That's why they have crawlers, right? Uh, well, because it, it, it limits the amount of nodes it has to cross to come from the original server. So say you're looking up something that's in a country completely on the other side of the world. That's where it came from, right? And that's the server that it originated on. Google would have taken that data and indexed it all across uh, their servers, and they have servers everywhere. They have servers all across the world. And basically, your, your location, when you search for this, it's gonna come from a server local to you, uh, very proximate to you. It's not gonna come from the originating server, even though it will resolve the exact same, uh, and by resolve, I mean show, the exact same information that if they had directly connected to your server, it'll even reflect the traffic to your server. But the data, the searches themselves come from closer. It's reflected through the searches. When you so click basically a search a result, would it be... actually does connect you to the actual server though. Yeah, so basically the metaphor is you need a pack of smokes and it doesn't have to come all the way from Tennessee. You go down to the local 7-Eleven and they get a copy of it. <laughs> so you're picking it up, exactly. picking up the information locally where they copied it uh, rather than from the original source. By the way, we exactly. should probably explain quickly uh, that the internet, there is no such thing as the internet uh, as like an a individual thing. The internet, is, the, the internet is literally a whole bunch of server computers talking to each other, Right. Like it's not it's not that it's just one thing and you're just dialing into it. It's literally like you're you're reaching out into the wide world of the web and it's communicating from all these to all these different places. That kind of thing. It's not that you're just going to one location. Like there is no I'm going to go to the internet and it's right over there. There's its address. That's not really how it works. Yeah. It's it's so, stuff so that's all over the place. If you could probably think of it as um, I'm going to uh, America. Right. So what is America? It's a whole bunch of towns. It's a whole bunch of people in different houses. Um, that is America, if you wanted to think of it that way. So that's very similar. Yeah. And this built out of the old individual servers, like back way back when, probably what, the 60s would be about the earliest where they really started doing this. And it would be uh, either a military installation or a university would have themselves set up so that they could communicate and it would just be these places, these few places communicating back and forth, sending data so that they could do th simple things like early email and things like that. Over time, 
more and more places started getting added. And this is where you start having the actual concept of the more modern internet coming into play because you start having more and more places communicating. And then it finally gets to the point where more and more servers are needed to start putting up individual web pages and actual places that aren't physical locations with giant, uh, what at the time would have been supercomputers, you know, and spools and fun things like punch cards. But yeah. this the one thing to consider, though, in the in the idea that it's it's non-local uh, and that it exists in all these different places is that the traffic, however, all does go through phys physical locations, which are switches. Uh, and those major switches, again, uh, used to be all within the purview of the United States Defense Department. Uh, but now um, they've been kind of sold off. <laughs> we, we released that. And but, we call them yeah, Internet but, service providers. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's all basically, that, but it, but it all okay. goes to it all goes to the NSA, right? So they're the ones that <laughs> um, physically have those biz, big Cisco routers. They're the ones who, um, uh, you know, they basically copy everything as well, and that all goes uh, to Draper, Utah, uh, to the NSA storage facility there. So all all internet and data traffic from every source internationally uh, goes through those switches and is copied and sent to NSA for them to scour and do with what they will. Right, right. And also, so when you think about this, uh, you know, and this is kind of taking it away from the, you know, the technical aspect of it, but if you think about this, when you look at the internet, so internet service providers, the network, so we own the devices that allow us to connect to them. We go spend money on them, we pay for internet service, we do all these things. These networks, are nothing more than the same people who own the utilities. Uh, they own, they made the phone lines, electricity. They have created all these things, and we become consumers of this. But the thing that sets the Internet apart from all other utilities is that the Internet is literally a constant running experiment on consciousness. And also, you know, you think about the all-seeing eye, the internet is what makes that uh, insane idea of being spied on or, you know, people knowing what you're doing through telepathy and things. Well, you don't even need that. You just need the internet and enough internet of things or smart devices around you that it's constantly spying on you. And that is what people fail to realize is that all of your devices look at you, listen to you. They start to collect information and even react to what you're doing and even like prompt you into what you might do next because they kind of start to think like you or at least reflect it you know your user data they kind of know what you're going to do you know what i mean and some people realize that and it kind of freaks them out like you know you get in your car and your phone automatically tells you where you're going to go and how long it takes you to get there that kind of thing when you don't, you know, put anything in any GPS or anything, and it's like, oh, at this time of day, this is where you're headed normally. It'll take you this long to get there, and traffic's good. Do you know what I mean? If you have all your smart assistants on and all these wonderful things, right? Proof positive that they are keeping your information, and they are building profiles. Everyone has a profile, basically. And every piece of garbage that you've ever put on the Internet, because the Internet's a giant trash can, but it's the most well-organized and easy-to-find receipts of everything trash can. It is the 
easiest thing to find information, especially if you understand how it works. Now, most people jump in a car, drive down the road. It's not that big of a deal if you don't really understand the inner workings of what you're doing when you're driving a car and what makes it run in these things. The internet, though, is something that every day we use it, we rely on it so heavily, but the amount of actual understanding that most users of the internet have of what they're using is very, very, it's, it's even non-existent for most. Uh, I'm not saying that that is, you know, it's probably a majority of people who really don't have a clue of how the internet really works and what the internet really is. And there is those people who are more slightly more tech savvy. And then, you know, it's a gradient scale on the far end of that. There are people who, you know, created the internet and those type of things. And what you have to think is these people who have created the internet have total control over it as well as your data, as well as your use of it. And this is something that many people do not think about. And furthermore, uh, some of the things that I wanted to bring up. So, you know, people think of like the all seeing eye on the back of a dollar bill, right? They've built that infrastructure. They've built it. The all seeing eye, you know, people say 5G is this, that, or the other. It's radar. The speed of what they're bringing out, the 300 gigahertz, you know, or from 60 gigahertz up to 300 gigahertz. That's what the fifth generation uh, frequency band is in. It literally is something that is fast enough. It has the high enough bandwidth to track us in real time. That is what makes it scary. It is oh, like it could create them. 3D 3D visualization with heat signatures and everything. <laughs> it's oh, intentionally exactly. um, weaponized. The fact that it can carry data is like tertiary <laughs> at best. <laughs> yeah, it right. has all kinds of features. We've been sending data. Right. We you know the internet's perfectly fast enough for all the users that are on it. I mean, especially, you you know, you talk about back in the days of four, when you measured things in bod width, wow. <laughs> That's, you know what I mean? So you're like, the Internet's uh, fast enough, right? When we hit like 10 megabit a second download, one megabit a second upload, you're like, fantastic. It's, it's lightning fast, right? Because, I mean, I know just from going from DSL from 56K modems in my day, oh my goodness. I was like, oh, look how fast the Internet is. How will we ever top this? Yeah. Okay, well, they topped it. Now we have computers in our pockets that are connected to the Internet 24-7. Do you see the underlying problem? Uh, people are like, I don't watch TV because it's bad for your brain. It influences you. Well, we've just shrunk the TV. We've connected it to this consciousness experiment. <laughs> and we've made the TV literally watch us and listen to us instead of us just watching and listening to it. Yeah, it's, it's remarkable isn't it, how they talked about. Yeah, Jamo, it's, re it's remarkable, isn't it, how they've gotten people not only to accept willingly, but to pay a thousand bucks or more uh, for a, a device that's got a, a you know a multiple cameras, <laughs> a, a microphone, <laughs> a tracking device, and hey, yeah, yeah, plug me in on that, and to make sure you don't leave it at home. Uh, now they've got the you know two-step, uh, two-factor authentication, uh, so you must have it with you at all times. And people are so cool with that. Yeah, man, I got. <laughs> I would get lost without GPS. <laughs> so tracking device? Oh, sure, you bet. Facial recognition, <laughs> taking your fingerprints for them, right? Yeah, they you know what I mean? Now, exactly. phones, you can unlock them with your fingerprints. You can unlock them with your biometrics. 
And it's so that's cool. the I biggest can get my data. Starbucks. I can get my Starbucks yeah. with my face. <laughs> the most disturbing data that the internet collects, in my opinion, uh, are you guys familiar with deep fakes? Yes, right? absolutely. There's literally an app called like Face Swap or something like that, where you take yep. your pictures and it can take a video of a celebrity, you can put your face on them, and it looks like it's, it's, it's insane how well it looks, right? Uh, what people need to think about is imagine if your face was put on someone who looks similar to your body who's committing a crime, and that is something that can be held up in the court of law because that's where we're going with our, you know, tech-ostrophy or whatever they call it. Uh, technocracy. This is the yeah, kind of thing... Is- it is funny, yeah. Yeah, it is funny, Jamo, that um, there was uh, several news reports that came out that said in the early test of facial recognition uh, that about sixty percent of uh, British politicians were recognized as criminals, <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, it was a nice. mistake." <laughs> yeah, only sixty percent—that's a low number. Right, unintended consequences. <laughs> exactly. I just found, I found that uh, ironic. Anyway, uh, and didn't mean to interrupt. It just when you just talk about facial recognition and uh, that it holds up in court. Yeah, that they had recognized sixty percent of uh, British politicians uh, as being criminals. <clears throat> That's funny. Wayne or Crow, do you guys right. have anything to to chime in here before we keep going on? I think he's pretty much nailing it down. Uh, we're all being tracked, and basically, we've reached a point where we've departed from radio, where we kind of listened to it and we didn't interact with it. We got to TV where we kind of sort of interacted with it and now our devices tell us what to do. So there's really the big crossover and the data collection gives them a time machine. I'm pretty sure James sounds like he's gonna end up talking about that. But when someone can predict what will happen next year this day to a 98 percentile, that's a pretty powerful thing. Right, and I would like to add right. that uh, when you actually consider Uh, that it's likely that this technology that we're talking about as state-of-the-art today that we're seeing roll out uh, full force here has been around for at least 30 years in the, uh, you know, black budget programs and such. Uh, Think about the implications there. Oh, right. The military, uh, definitely everything that we have in technology has came from the militant, the military sector, uh, even crazier, like CIA, FBI, NSA, the technologies that they have. Well, basically, all of our technology, we've, you know, we've created our own virtual prison, really. Uh, you can't get away with anything. I don't, I don't know if anybody knows that, but you can't get away with anything. There's no way, because your cell phones, uh, all devices, everywhere you go, uh, think about it. It's not just our devices. Uh, I'm not a fan of Walmart because of this, but if you think about it, if you go to a Walmart, look around in the parking lot, there are more cameras on the outside <laughs> of a Walmart than there is a, than of like a penitentiary, like a maximum security prison. It's just missing the fence, really. Uh, and then when you but go a inside, one. right? Yeah, right? And then when you go inside, not only is it snapping pictures on things that give you coupons, it's also snapping pictures and taking video and recording you when you connect your payment, when you're paying at a self-checkout. It shows you a video that they're taking of you. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's collecting biometrics. It's your likeness. And this is another thing that's very scary. 
that computers, the internet, uh, technology, uh, you know, I wanted to bring up, I don't know uh, everyone's age group here, but, you know, back in the late 60s, early 70s, whenever, you know, the phone utility was ran by operators where they were, you know, actually plugging you into the numbers on the grid to connect you to the correct node of the phone line. They're like, everybody's going to have to be phone operators to deal with the amount of calls being placed because a physical person had to connect to people. Uh, that's why uh, Bell Labs, AT&T, they created the Unix system, uh, which was basically the first multi-user operating system. So it was capable of handling multiple user data uh, in parallel and being able to process. Uh, they were able to make you know, a phone network that was you know, basically controlled by a computer, by a computer mainframe or a system, a service system, however you'd say by today's standards. I think they used the word mainframe back then. But uh, basically, right. if you think about it, though, not only is our phone infrastructure now ran by computers, our financial, educational, every single thing that we deal with as human beings is controlled by computers, not just phones, everything. Well, I mean, our cell phones control our lives now, basically. It's the thing that everybody has this weird connection to. It's insane. And it's in it. If you think about it, it hasn't been that long that this whole, you know, I can remember landlines and going out in public without a cell phone and, you know, even driving places. Go without your cell phone? And I mean, everyone (laughs) listening, think about that. Think about that crazy anxiety you get when you think about going somewhere and not having your phone. Now, that is a little funny. You really have to think about this. It's, it is a psychological connection that you have to checking your, you know, I have to look at my Facebook. I have to look at all my social media. I have to be, what if something happens? I need to have my, I need to stay connected, right? It's the, that is a major thing to what is, not only is it kind of damaging uh, the relationships that we have, uh, we don't have interpersonal relationships. Everybody, you know, you go out to a restaurant and you see a group of like six people sitting at a table. Most of, most of the time, they're not talking to each other. They're looking at their phones. If they're just sitting there, you know, they might be waiting to order. They're looking at their phones. And it's literally distancing, you know, social distancing. It started with the Internet in reality. You know what I mean? People were drove to the internet because it was new and exciting. And also because it is created to trigger certain psychological aspects to our mind that, you know, human nature, uh, addictive things that we're, you know, the dopamine hits. Facebook does it. Everything does it with their notification system. It's the same as pulling the handle on the slot machine in the hopes that you might win something. Every time you refresh your social media, Someone might have liked you. They might have liked something you did. They might have left a, a witty comment or said that you're, you're great in some way, right? And people are drawn to this. They, they want that interaction, but it's not a good replacement for actual human interaction. So the internet is, I feel, harming us in that sense. But take it a step further, as I said, the people who own the internet, 
Now they also have control of all of our financial. Uh, anything you do goes through the internet. Without electricity, we would be basically in the dark ages. And you know, they had a book burning and they got rid of you know, certain knowledge and things. When everything is on computers, it is so easily manipulated without any effort whatsoever. If our history is recorded digitally and virtually, our history is completely at the hands of whoever wants to make it whatever they want. You can put whatever you want on the internet. You can put whatever you want on the internet. It's that easy. The internet is not a good source of information. When someone wrote a book, they took time, they researched, they would cite their references in this, and they would give you a very well laid out, constructive idea of what they were addressing if they were going to take the time to write it down. It was good information. The internet is about maybe 10% good information and then about 90% things to distract us and dumb us down, in my opinion. Oh, there's something I want to address here. <clears throat> now, you're talking about things in, mm, I don't know, past 10 plus years maybe. What I'd really like to get into, because I do like the historical side of this, is how long ago do, do we think, and, and everybody can chime in their thoughts on this. I, I mean, Wayne has certainly done a lot of... Uh, research on, on technology and things like that. When do we think that the, the internet started becoming what it is now? Like obviously a bunch of uh, tape machines chit-chatting with each other at each other at one, one uh, letter a second. They, they weren't doing anything. Uh, so, well, well, let's, uh, let's look, let's look at that. I think Wayne might back me. Out. I think, you know, when, when the uh, Marvel movies came out, they made the, you know, the poke in the eye that the guy who showed them how to data mine the internet wrote the algorithms in like the thirties. That's a true reference uh, to a mathematician who actually did that. Um, while we can't be sure what the military industrial complex had, what they had already done is sussed it out um, because it went into the universities first. EDU, there was the old browsers, Veronica, Gopher, Mosaic, um, and for a while they didn't have images, but they already knew what they could do. Like right now, when all the school goes online, all the currency goes online, and by the way, the Fed has already told all the banks they can turn down any transaction they want. I'm already seeing it uh, where people who have been recurring subs forever get a $7 charge turned down by the bank because they won't take the risk. So what's going on here is they knew back in the day that if they had the infrastructure that they could data mine all this. But what's worse is when the children are in school, that's data mining in real time, and most people don't think about what that actually means. It means basically that your child, that your young son or daughter is in school and they've been bean counted. This person's going to be a ditch digger. Um, and by the way, we have all their medical records. So we know if there are no negative or whatever it is that we find valuable. But I mean, what would you say, Wayne? Do you remember, do you recall the algorithm that I'm referring to? I think it was the 30s that that algorithm got written. Actually, I think the algorithms for this got written back in the 1920s, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, Is this I from the cybernetics so. conference? Like that whole era? Uh, well, a lot of these things culminated in the cybernetic conference, but this was back before they even called it cybernetics, before they actually gave it an official name. But uh, once the uh, Macy Foundation conferences came about, that's when they started to uh, uh, 
coining the phrase cybernetics, and that's when all this kind of got uh, allocated into uh, this primary resource right there of the cybernetics group. And uh, you have guys like uh, Norbert Wiener and stuff talking about this stuff in the 1950s. And actually, 1954 is the landmark year where the technologies actually became available to start automating society in this way and using these algorithms to figure things out. And then they brought about things like the universal product code and all of these things in order to uh, make it a little easier to track this data. So this is what they did is they laid out uh, the algorithms and the framework for this clear back in the 1920s, maybe even before then, because I know, you know, a lot of this stuff goes through decades and decades of planning. But uh, basically, well, I, they, they had the, the how to do end of it figured out in the 1920s. They just had to get the uh, technological side of it or the mechanical side of it. Anybody uh, know when the first to reference snuff? to digital was where they'd actually understood the concept of ones and zeros that could be used for data transfer? Well, they called the guys who were working for the Vatican way back. Those people were called computers. Right. But the the, the uh, ones and zeros binary code from the late 1860s uh, using mechanical systems to do it. Um, but there, actually... there's, there's another line we can draw here um, that's never going to be written in a book. Think of the wisdom of the crowd. How long have people known about the wisdom of the crowd? I don't remember how old it was, but it, it goes way, way back. For people listening who don't understand, Vegas was built on two premises way before the supposed digital age, the wisdom of the crowd and the law of large numbers. Those two pieces of whatever you want to call them, those two tools allowed them to completely construct Vegas. Wisdom of the crowd is when you're in the mall someday or you're at, you say you're at the state fair and there's this massive mason jar full of gumballs. And whoever can guess closest to how many gumballs is in that jar wins the prize. But what most people don't understand is by the time 100 people have guessed, I think it depends on the number of actual gumballs, but within 100 people roughly, you're something like within 10, 20% of the true number. If 1,000 or 5,000 people guessed, you're within percentiles yep. of the real number of gumballs. That's called The larger the, the data sample, right? The larger right. the data sample, the more accurate the data. Right. So that's like been a, around. Funny how that works, right? Yeah, that's 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 working on a how would I say it? A more godly version of what the world mind can generate. It's called wisdom of the crowd because when you get enough human beings thinking, this bizarre thing happens. We average all these guesses, and guess what? We're within less than one percent of the actual five thousand two hundred and sixteen gumballs that's in that big jar over there. That's amazing, right? But it is amazing. Apply this thing to the internet. People right. on the internet. Right. Our consciousness so, is an experiment on the internet. Just like the guessing of the gumballs, the internet is giving us all these things to interact with as a whole. Well, it's almost like the gumballs can now tell us what to do. Because they do. The data, yeah, the data is already... It, yeah. The data's already been collated so they can do all these predictions. Like, how many times have you heard someone say, man, I didn't even search or do anything. I just talked to a friend yesterday while I was in my car that I wanted a new bed, and today I logged on and there was an advertisement for a bed. Well, you know how I did that? It's because the Internet knows you better than you know yourself. Based Absolutely. on all your actions, it had already deduced that you were getting ready to think about and start searching to buy a bed. Yeah, um, and, it's, and it's not only monitoring, but it's actually kind of um, insinuating and driving. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so the more people are bought into, or what we would say hypnotized, right, 
in, uh, the more they uh, fall into the power of suggestion, the easier it is for them to drive that behavior. And so they know that you're going to go to the burger factory uh, two weeks from now on a Wednesday and, and before you do. But they're going to drive that. So there's a high percentage chance that uh, they're going to feed you bits of information uh, personally. And so that come Wednesday, you're like, hey, I, I got a hankering for a burger. And you would think that it's a you know, completely uh, extemporaneous choice, but it's not. Hmm. No, you take it a step further. Go ahead. It's like the uh, the gumball reference, right? So now, instead of us guessing how many gumballs are in there, the way that they have taken, you know, they're going to take your data, they're going to take all of the interactions you have through your phone, and because they know, they can guess what color gumball you're going to pull out of the jar and how many gumballs you have left, and when you are tired of the gumballs, based on the way you interact with the internet. And in even marketing senses, like Facebook and Google both listen to the audio you speak. Constantly. Straight up. Yeah. It, it's their def so if you're talking to a friend uh, about something around your phone, you will see that marketed towards you very quickly. Immediately. Uh, I believe cases. the term is something like uh, ghost pixel marketing or something like that. But it's basically a tiny little function that follows you around, you know, on the internet. Um, actually, it's in your phone. Uh, think about this. Your phone is GPS. It knows the physical locations you go. It knows when you go there. It knows how long you stay there. It knows what people you come in contact with because they have phones, right? It's the ultimate sensor, really. Do you know what well, I mean? It, it's, it's it works like, in such a it works in such a fashion now that um, when I go to the grocery store, for example, uh, and I'll, if I take my phone or iPad in with me, it will immediately open up uh, the app for Fred Meyer or whatever and start a shopping list <laughs> immediately <laughs> based on uh, what I've pre previously purchased, and it's right about ninety percent of the time of what I'm probably going to get. Um, you know, lactose-free milk, and I'm going to I'm going to get some Boar's Head uh, Deli. I mean, it knows already, and it's like uh, pick up these items, this, this uh, aisle and this aisle. Um, they they already know, and they're offering me digital coupons from the moment I walk in the store. Uh, so yeah, make no mistake. Again, they they not only uh, cover you, but they, um, you know, we talked about this crow on episodes 154 and 156. This data all gets aggregated and then uh, goes into real time simulated models, and they have multiple so, versions of you, and in, in well, which they run this, multiple scenarios. This starts to become a lot more black. Um, with what's going on in the world now, where there's this whole new push. Uh, you'll see a couple things that most people haven't added one and one. Well, we can't take money because if we touch it, we might get sick and die. What that is, is the push to go to the digital dollar. As I have said on endless episodes, the day that we go to digital currency, the human race will have lost more freedom than any other event of all time. And they're already queuing for it. But now think about the young people. Right now, um, I have friends where their young ones are not attending school. They're talking about going online, and I have some that are split, and I don't know anyone where the kids are going full-time back to the brick and mortar. What's happening here is this was preceded by the Chromebook and things like this, where early on, they started eavesdropping. Why? Because they could. Think of the HIPAA regulations. When I first started in the internet in the late 90s and we built websites for dentists or whoever the HIPAA regulations were a big damn deal and it had teeth and you didn't violate it and you had to be careful what you were doing and there were people who were actually police it and come check 
um, from time to time. What eventually happened around the year 2001 is Google had access to hundreds of thousands of records, and since there are no database police, they took it, and they started doing what they do. Now, what this all means is in the larger scope of things, the classes of, say, India, you know, everyone looks at the caste system, and we think it's all upside down and back. We're, we're going to have things that are so far beyond that because your child from the get-go will be projected that he's never going to score well on this, that, or the other thing, or really his, his avocation is for digging ditches. On top of that, they're going to have all the medical data, so the people that they value out, like negative RH factors and O blood types and AB blood types or whatever it may be, um, you're already going to have points against you if you're not these things. Um, so what's coming is basically a version of Brave New World times a few hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. um, that's what will be on the back of this if it's not controlled. And by the way, Jason and I will probably end up doing a show where we do all these occult things that people act like nobody knows. Let me tell you something. <laughs> they know backwards and forwards. Mm -hmm. And I just use the T-Mobile, whoever the hell they merged with, as an example. Um, I'll do another show on color here pretty quick to show that this world is built on vibration and that keynotes hold form together. It's provable. It's not arguable. We've been led down the garden path to believe in physics and gravity and all these things that are just computational constructs that mm -hmm. balance on a ledger sheet. Now, what's going on in some of these commercials is they show this pink beam on these cell towers go fly out omnidirectionally from the cell tower and go out across the complete city, turning the city the color of the cell tower. But what almost nobody knows is that, first of all, the vibration of that new millimeter wave is changing the vibration of everything. And this place is built by vibration. But what really nobody, everybody knows is the color of the beam they are showing you is the actual, factual color of ether. So you think they don't know what's really running this place? All this nonsense we learn in school, uh, they know the old hermetic, occulted, natural, whatever the hell you want to call them. The provably true methodologies that nature backs and nature doesn't tell lies. They know it. And the weird thing about that particular commercial is that that, that pinkish hue that is the color of ether is not quite right. It's like the green that we always talk about. Green is, a, is an action color, but if you see the band Poison, it's a livid green. If you see all the nonsense about Ebola or some other similar idea, it will be a livid green. They're doing the same thing with the ether. They're very well aware of what's going on. And the reason I bring all this up is because that changes the fabric of the actual reality we live in on top of everything else we've covered. Well, it seems like yeah, revelation of the method again. But uh, I do have one question, if anybody could answer this. How are we supposed to do the extra cocaine off of a stripper's rare end with a digital dollar? <laughs> There's no extra cocaine. It would just have to be a digital stripper, I guess. I, I, no, I it's, can... it's actually legal now as long as you're filming it. I just figured you just take the you take the card and just swipe it between your cheeks and that's the Yikes! <laughs> look what I did <laughs> transhumanism right so they they have a card scanner right right in there yeah you know going back all the way to uh, CompuServe right was one of the first uh, commercially available or publicly available versions of the internet uh, if you weren't at an EDU site uh, and that was in the very early 1980s um, but even from that point and then with the rollout of uh, AOL in the late 1980s early 1990s. 
Uh, wow, Candace, that thank you. That's uh, pretty amazing. Anyway, um, so but what they found early on is again the psychology of it is even in chat rooms, e- even though you should have no expectation of it, people had a sense of um, a false sense of privacy, and they would say all kinds of things uh, in you know chat rooms, bulletin board systems, uh, and early versions of email, believing that it was uh, private, uh, and just um, again with no. <laughs> You know, it's like there's no probability that it's not going to be monitored, and yet people uh, to this day have a sense of um, a false sense of privacy when they communicate electronically, whether that's uh, sending a text or speaking on the phone uh, or sending an email. There's, uh, for most people, a false sense of privacy uh, that just doesn't exist, and it's been going on for you know, a very, very long time. And there's a concept here that we haven't even touched on yet, and I really want to get to since we're half done here. And that's the the concept. There isn't just one internet. There's like the surface internet, but then there's also the deep web and the, the dark, dark web. web. Right. Dark and web. I don't know exactly when things started turning into that from the old days of punch cards and tape machines, but uh, whoever wants to start leading us in that direction so that people can really understand, it's not just that the internet saves your data. There's so much more to it than that. And you, when you just jump on your iPhone and then go on Safari and go look at something, you aren't even coming close to actually going on the entirety of what the internet truly is in the year 2020. Uh, What I don't know is how long ago did it start becoming this great big swampy mess of data and sort of splitting itself off and all that. So whomever wants to take that, let's uh, start breaking that down so people can understand just what the hell the internet really is uh, that they probably don't even know. Uh, Wayne, you you want to jump on Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, J-Mo. Okay. So uh, for most people, uh, if you talk about the surface internet, uh, so... Think of it as like your standard marketplace and your black marketplace, right? Let's just think of it in terms of uh, buying and selling on a normal market or a black market. So basically, uh, if you have the surface internet, that's uh, like I said, that is going to be geographically connected to where you're at. Uh, It's going to be in your language only. So like when you go a normal search through your browser, through Google, DuckDuckGo, it's not going to show you anything that's not in your language. Uh, because of, you know, on the surface internet, that's how it works. Uh, And also, these are only going to be websites that are registered domain names. Uh, So www.facebook.com, www.google.com, www.whatever.net is, co, whatever. These are all things that you would consider the surface internet. Uh, These are all things that are registered. Just like, you know, you register you know, your, your vehicle to drive it on the road, uh, you register your website to put it on the internet. Uh, the dark web though, these are, and also, you know, once you put a, these websites with their domain names that are resolved are static, you know, it's always going to go to that same website. If you type in, you know, the address, the domain name, it'll always go to that same website. Uh, the dark web is kind of something that uh, comes off of something called Tor, the onion router. Uh, basically, that is a browser that not only works similar to a VPN, where it routes you through multiple different countries, and it actually uh, fragments and kind of uh, encrypts your data, so to say, and sends it through multiple places so that the data of whatever you're sending one way or the other couldn't be easily snooped on, right? But uh, 
it also is what allows people to create websites that are dynamic in range, meaning that as soon as you close down your, your onion router that you've created that onion site in, as they're called, uh, it's gone. It's no longer, there's no record of it on the internet, on the deep web. You know, it's gone. It's not there. So that is why all of these crazy things that you can find and do on the, the dark web exist because of the, uh, the way that it exists. And these type of sites, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, connecting to another computer, like in the 56K dial-up uh, days, you would literally use a phone number and call computers, type back and forth, or call your internet service provider's node or something like that. Uh, but before that, you know, back in the days of Bodwith, as uh, I think it was Crow was saying, uh, you would actually type in a physical number address, which was a port address, to where you were connecting to. So now, because of the way that the internet is basically multiple nodes that you can, you know, take multiple different routes to your destination, one way or the other, there's not, uh, in the inception of the internet, it was a very straightforward. Uh, you would straight be routed to a specific IP address range that was a specific, each address was a specific room in a building with a computer in it. Now, uh, the way our IP uh, ranges work and things like that, you know, you connect to an IP address, that range, there's a thousand devices you could put in there on that IP address because of, you know, how we do it now. The last four being your devices and the first parts of your IP address being the actual, you know, internet address or whatever. But uh, the dark web also does a very interesting thing, though. Uh, it basically... Uh, correlates all parts of the surface internet to each other. Uh, it, it basically, uh, there is no boundaries when you go through the dark web. There is no boundaries to what you can find or connect to, for better words. So, uh, as Jason was saying earlier, uh, if you're just going through, you know, looking things up on the internet the standard way, which for most people, mind you, that is the best way to do it. Do it that way. Uh, if you're not familiar with things like Tor or VPNs or things like that, it's probably not a good idea for you to, to dive in, but uh, especially if you're not hip to like things like security and things like that. But uh, for those of you who are researchers, I feel that using Tor to do your research and your searches it allows you to basically search content on servers in any country as it also allows you to just, uh, you can basically generate IP addresses and connect to them all day long just by, you know, randomizing them, finding things and connecting to them and getting an idea of what you're connecting to, uh, which is something you cannot do through a standard browser. You know, that's, that's not something that you could do through a standard browser. It's not like, if you were connected to the standard internet, you can just easily type in an IP address to a computer that's on your network. And then, well, I mean, you can, but not through the browser, right? Where Tor kind of works like that. You know, Tor kind of allows you that direct connection to something, which is good and bad. Uh, something also, because these sites are so, uh, 
like I said, dynamic. Uh, a lot of these sites only exist whenever their admin is actually putting the site online, which means that the things like the hidden wikis and stuff like that are very important. So if you do end up finding yourself on tour, you have to be hip to something called the hidden wiki, which will basically give you, uh, it basically checks to see what onion sites, as they're called, are active and then gives you basically a list of all of the ones that are currently online. But the thing is, is it's changing dramatically, you know, dramatically, constantly. Uh, sites go up. They might only, it's like these sites actually have business hours that their patrons, if you would call that, uh, are hip to. And this is also part of the thing that helps keep the illegal uh, aspect of it hard to be traced and found out by like law enforcement and things like that. So there's a the question from the, the chat room, web. by the way, that uh, tie this into this, yeah. please, JMO. Uh, Eric Dulyan is asking, what about the illegal stuff that's online? Are the people doing this? Why don't they get caught and isn't it seen and that kind of thing? So if you can address that question in with what you're explaining right now, that'd be great. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, that's actually uh, the reason. Now, when you say people doing illegal things online, uh, on the surface internet or on the dark web? On the deep web? Is that, is that what he means, yeah? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, explain it from the three different levels. Uh, well, basically, you're not going to get away with anything illegal on the surface internet. That's, so that's, I guess, kind of a mute point anyways. On the, Unless the they willingly web, turn their head the other direction, which we've seen happen. Exactly, exactly. Uh, now, on the deep web... Uh, part of that you can easily, well, first off, you can't resolve somebody's IP address through through the tour. It's it's very hard to do. Uh, things that you can do, if well, I'm not going to get into the specifics, and I don't want to, I, I don't really want anybody to try to facilitate anything crazy. But in a general explanation, the reason that the illegal sites that are, you know, whether they're providing illegal services or illegal products of some sort. The reason they are so hard to be found by law enforcement is because the sites aren't up 24-7. They don't exist unless that person is physically putting the site up. And most of their patrons who would go to their site, they know when they're going to be connected or able to connect, and they, they take advantage of that window. Also, Bitcoin is the currency, the encrypted currency of the deep web. All of this encrypted currency is why this marketplace can exist and it's impossible to narrow down who's doing it. Now, it's not impossible. Uh, Silk Road has been taken down twice. Uh, Silk Road had two different people. Uh, the first one... Why don't you explain Silk Road real quick? I know what it is, but top. everyone might not. Uh, Silk Road <clears throat> was kind of, well, I guess we'll, we'll call it a uh, dark web pharmacy for all <laughs> of your street pharmaceuticals. Uh, and actually pharmaceuticals, uh, oddly enough. Uh, Silk Road was basically an illegal way to buy drugs on the internet. Uh, I've never used Silk Road, but uh, it was taken down, both versions, Silk Road 1 and 2, by two like different Craigslist people. Craigslist for the dark web. <laughs> you know. Uh you know, kind of, yeah. Um, it's very crazy. Uh, just to give you guys, like, a anyone who's ever wondered about the dark web, uh, literally, if you were to go to 
the hidden wiki, it's going to break the dark web down into about four categories. And it's going to be basically blogs, people who just share information. It's going to be people who are stealing information and selling it. <laughs> it's going to be drugs and it's going to be other services. Uh, an example of an other service, uh, hitmen, uh, prostitute, it, things like that, right? Crazy things, very crazy things. But, uh, that's the general, like it, it basically only breaks itself down into like about those four categories. And there are some that kind of get miscategorized because they just kind of just have to fall in wherever. But, uh, it's pretty nuts. The dark web is definitely not somewhere that is for the faint of heart or people that if you're, if you're fine, if you have no reason to use it, you probably should just stick to what you're doing. Uh, the only reason that you would have to use it if you're not looking for illegal stuff is, as I said before, for doing research and being able to get information and correlate information that normally would not be correlated on the surface internet. Uh, let me give you an idea of what I mean. So let's say someone in another country, uh, they have multiple emails, they have multiple accounts, they have whatever, whatever. Now, if you were to search this information <clears throat> in your country, that other country's information is not going to show up in your, in your search results. Now, you could use a VPN to change your geographic and your language and things. And then that's going to give you basically the surface web of that uh, locale that you're, you know, spoofing or whatever, uh, that you're looking for this information. In other words, it's uh, going, going to go to, to the, the servers web. in that area because it thinks that's where you are, right? And that's, it's going to give you information based exactly. off of, oh, so you are in, mm, I don't know, whatever, Dubai, Saudi Arabia. Here's the stuff in Dubai, Saudi Arabia. Exactly. Because of relevance, like that makes sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it's probably also for targeted uh, advertisements too, right? Exactly. Because they want to sell you stuff to consumers that you can go buy physical things from, right? Much easier. Uh, but let's say, you know, you're trying to track down someone, even for good reasons, right? Like let's say you had a high school friend that moved to another country and you had an old email that was connected to an old uh, social media site login, but it's went cold. They haven't been on there. They jumped to another one with a different email and you can't find them. Basically, you go to the deep web and you search the information that you have. It is going to correlate that information to the similar email. And now keep this in mind, guys. That is one of the reasons when you set up a Gmail or anything like that, you must have a back uh, already an email to back. They say to recover it, right? <laughs> it's not to yeah, recover it. it. It's to tie it into all of your previous things that you did on that email. That, you know what I mean? Let's just be real here. It's not to recover it. It's to tie it in. And then they want your phone number and all these things to back up your accounts, right? It's not backing them up. It's, it, I mean, it is, but it's actually correlating that data into that profile that you have on the internet that I was mentioning earlier, that everyone has this, this kind of thing that follows you around and neatly organizes everything you do on a timely fashion, on a very perfect timeline, right? So basically you do your search on the deep web, it's gonna pull up 
any emails connected to that old email you had and any of the social, uh, you know, different social media sites that that new email that was connected to the old one would be set up with, it's going to show you all that too, because it, it, it's not going to be set to the parameters of your, you know, your standard web searching. It's going to basically, uh, search whatever parameters you type into it and it's going to do it, uh, indiscriminately. And that's what makes the deep web such a powerful tool for research, the way that it correlates things. Uh, because that, that's the nature of the internet. When you search something, it's basically just making multiple correlations and weighing the data to say like, well, based on how many times this has been occurring in this data, this is the data you're looking for. And you know, nothing else. Like that's the, the primary function of the way you can search on the deep web. Any when, questions? Yeah. When when do you think this started really turning into this? Uh, I'm assuming maybe the 90s when the service providers started coming around, the internet service providers. Like I, I'm again going back to the past. I doubt very much there was a deep web or a dark web uh, when it was just a bunch of universities and such communicating, right? Uh, you know what? I I you know I wouldn't say that there wasn't something in that nature, but there was definitely not to the extent that it exists today. Because basically, the dark web is like the global internet. And the internet just wasn't global in scale. So it's the scalability of the actual physical internet that allows the uh, dark web to be such a powerful tool. Everything is literally virtually connected now by physical infrastructure. Uh, you didn't have that interconnectivity, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago. And in another, you know, the way they're putting up the 5G and things like that, they're just making that connectivity even better suited to basically track everything we're doing in real time. You know, this might be getting ahead of, so, of ourselves here, but do you think it's actually possible for there to be some sort of kill switch for the internet where they can just flick a switch and turn it off like uh, people kind of get paranoid and hear about like that there's a threat to that because to me it seems like the fact that the internet isn't just a singular thing it's things all over the place like you could take out nodes of it but i wouldn't think that you could take the whole thing down at once or am i naive uh it, well actually something like that happened uh the day before yesterday i believe or was it yesterday so basically anybody with verizon in the united states probably had a little issue with their cell phones yesterday or the day before uh, basically what that was, was actually, uh, this is the information I have. It's kind of crazy, but, uh, you know, there are hacker groups, you know, if you think of, uh, militias exist, right? Well, there are hacker groups that are not, uh, malicious. If you, if you would put it that way, I guess there are hacker groups that are kind of like internet militia, right? And they're for the people, right? So basically what popped off with the Verizon uh, network, because, you know, if they were updating their network, they'll tell you ahead of time. They would say it on their website. They usually give you, like, at least 24 hours notice that your service will be down. But uh, from what I understood from what happened, they basically shut that network down, These this, this group. I'm not going to name it just because I'm not trying to whatever. But uh, And then they basically... Once they did that, uh, Verizon is the largest network 
in the United States, and they're about to merge with T-Mobile or something like that, I think, or maybe Sprint's merging with T-Mobile. But uh, basically, this group stated that uh, they had a bunch of demands they would like met, and it wasn't the, the type of thing that you're thinking. Uh, it was actually, uh, given the current situation, uh, the fear-mongering going on with uh, state representatives and uh, representatives of governments worldwide, uh, they're basically calling them all out on their bullshit. Uh, and they were basically stating that they're going to give them so much time to fix it, or they were basically going to cancel them all, cancel the government, and basically close down all of the networks. They were going to take the entirety of all networks down and delete all debt, delete all data, period. And mm. I kind of think that this group... Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, but so there are basically underground bunkers that are server stations that are used by governments, uh, rich people that we talk about all the time that have things going on and they want this private uh, servers deep in the ground that are safe and their data is literally safe in a bunker because it's only on there. And I feel like one of the groups that provided this service to our governments and these things actually flipped on them and decided it wasn't worth the money to be facilitating these people. So uh, there's kind of a revolution that's got sparked, kind of. Uh, you know, it's like in limbo right now. But who knows? So is how that it's confirmed? Like an actual group did that, and for what reason? Uh, you know, I can't. Uh, the best, I mean, I can't confirm it because I don't know for sure. Like, I, I can't say for sure, but that's the information I was getting. Is that, and the group, I don't believe that the name that they were given, uh, the name they were giving, I'm not even sure. Because, I mean, you would probably make up a name. You wouldn't claim your actual groups that you have referred to as yourself. Because you would not want to do that, obviously. So, the name they gave was probably like a made up whatever. And who knows how many people it is. Uh, is it a network of groups worldwide? Maybe, uh, a few skilled individuals though, who are proper with their software skills can take down the whole fucking internet. It's, it's possible. Do you know what I mean? Like it's very possible. So Jamo, is this, um, the same one that's related to the, uh, major cloud server outage, um, related to Hulu and, um, the number of internet providers all last night is that the same the same issue? Yeah, they were okay. all Verizon based internets. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. they okay. took down all of Verizon's national network to the United States. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. All right. And they yeah, did it within a matter of about three hours. That's a shame. It started man. in the West Coast and easily whole... worked its way. Yeah, they're they're mm -hmm. trying to paint the whole ether this weird ether pink. So it's kind of rude they interrupted them while they're in the middle of all that. I know, right? I'm it was, uh, it was very special. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, like I said, I, I can't this, confirm it. I, I'm not I, on... It, oh, go ahead. It's not surprising because this is unsustainable. People have been wigging out and freaking, and when we tell people what the data and the digitalness of where we are actually means, you got to realize, um, if no human being or group of human beings manages to step up to a degree to stop this 
then an earthquake, a tidal wave, or something in nature will wipe away 5G. This is unsustainable. It's an assault on the way this place was built, which is provably on vibration. Uh, what they're doing is they're up to no good, and it would not surprise me to see many groups like are being described here. Um, or, or for that matter, how about a four-star general who just woke up yesterday and said, you know what, I got 10 grandkids, and I don't want them growing up in the nonsense I see coming. Um, this is unsustainable. I think the main question becomes how long do we got to endure because it kind of sucks dying of COVID when it's impossible to die of COVID. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. right. At some point, people got to stand up and say enough of this already. It, it can't um, be. It can't and, be. Done. And it's getting, yeah, it's getting to be to the point where a lot of people are saying, you know what? I do have kids. I have grandkids. What kind of a world do I want them to grow up in? You know what I mean? People in these different positions where they have the authority to, to do certain things or access to certain things that maybe, uh, you know, your regular Joe Schmo and the, the average public doesn't have access to. But you got to wonder, these people, they, you know, humans, are we're all cut from the same cloth. We all want the same basic things in life. We want to be happy. We want a better future for our children. Uh, you know, we want our basic needs met and, and we don't want to live under tyranny. So it's getting to the point now where it's getting so bad that I would suspect that, yeah, maybe there are some people in these types of uh, positions that are waking up to this whole thing and saying, you know, enough. I'm not going along with this anymore. Uh, I'm going to do what I can to send this message to the people in in charge of these different uh corporations basically that's that's what it's all about corporation that's even what the entire surface internet that we were talking about earlier is all about corporations it's corporate control uh, they have all the infrastructure built underneath uh, that was put there by people that had nothing to do with this corporation this google that pretty much controls everything of the surface internet for the most part uh, and they're the ones that are the beneficiary of it largely and they're tying everybody into their corporate structure, their corporate system, in order to, to do this. And here's the thing. Like, it, it's a monopoly. And there was reasons early on in this nation why we had these monopoly laws in place. But uh, just like everything else, the uh, the carpetbaggers and the, the, what do you call it, the all, all of those different guys, the, you know, the, the Rockefeller clan and all of those people, they found loopholes around this. And, yeah, the robber barons. Why am I saying carpetbaggers, man? It's been a <laughs> they while. They might have been that, too. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's beside the point. Anyway, the whole point of it is it, you get these same groups of people that find these loopholes and, you know, buy up these systems and still manage to set up this monopoly. And it's all done under the guise of corporation, as we've all discussed before. And here it is. So this is what it is. But there are people that are getting sick and tired of the status quo. And they see that this is turning south real fast. And, you know, maybe there is this group out there that decided, hey, you know what? We're going to send a message. And that, that would send a big message, I mean, to shut down a large portion of that uh, company's traffic that day. So who knows? I mean, maybe there's something to it. But I, I would also argue that I think the, uh, the national security infrastructure uh, – would probably, you know, have a good handle on it. So they, to some degree or another, allowed it to happen. So maybe there's people within that group, too, that yeah, would stand I would down to send the message. 
I would agree with with that since um, you know um, pretty much every bit of data is uh, compromised at the hardware level end to end and in the middle at the switch. So there's nothing that happens that's not monitored. Uh, and those who want things to happen, will, well, you know, allow it to happen. That most of things when you're when you're spying on people, right, is you don't want to give away your means and methods. So uh, they're not going to usually react unless it's in their favor to do so. You don't want to uh, tip off people that you have uh, that you're doing this right without the, the reason to do so. So most of the time they'll stay quiet unless uh, they have you know reason to uh, prevent one of these things. But it's certainly uh, in this case, if it is uh, just a you know small group of you know quote white hats or anon or whatever um, doing. Stuff like that. It's you know, uh, th- those at the top, they don't give. Sh- I mean, it's going to play into their hands, right? So uh, nothing really, nothing's going to go through those switches that's not intended. Right, and that's the thing. And you also have to remember at this point in the game, encryption means nothing anymore. And all encryption has been broken now with the advent of quantum computers. Encryption is a thing of the past. Uh, yeah. In fact, uh, there's many large uh, companies uh, just outside the DC Beltway that are heavily vested in quantum computing and actually own yeah. quantum computers right on premise where they break encryption. They could break all encryption with these things. So encryption is a thing of the past. A VPN, that's not going to do anything for you anymore. Yeah, uh, and any for the type most of part, encryption. For the most part, encryption has always been, um, you know, just again like a lock for a, um, you know, for the for the masses. It's it's the illusion of privacy. Um, locks right. on it, doors it's, it's just keep honest keep people on. honest. <laughs> That's what I was just gonna say. It's yeah. just there to keep honest people honest. Exactly. I mean, it might keep, it might keep Bobby down the street who lives in his you know parents' basement uh, from getting in your bank account or looking at your personal internet history. But when it comes to uh, those people that you really don't want looking at your stuff, the more layers of security you add, the bigger red flag you put up for them to look at you. Well, Absolutely. if you look at the previous ideas, um, the idea of encryption is null and void because they can predict anything. Um, at some point, the prediction level of an inf- infinite data set, and by the way, it can be called infinite because there's more coming every second. So it is an infinite data set. And when they have the computers that can chug through this, it gets to a point where they can literally deduce almost anything they want to a 90-some percent certainty. So it, it, it gets to be a problem. It, it's all in your mind. You don't have to decrypt anything. If it's encrypted, you just wait for it to get to the machine to decrypt it and then just screenshot it off of it like it's yeah. that easy. And uh, Illuminati, me, you know what I mean? Illuminati asked in the chat, can you explain how um, quantum computers can quickly do it? Basically, quantum computers work on a different... Uh, premise altogether the quantum states are called qubits right and so what it is is that it looks at things existing in multiple states a superposition so multiple states at the same time and in that way it can check out a variety of different possibilities all at the same time rather than uh, going through a series in a linear fashion Uh, so in that way you can compare all kinds of data sets uh, on top of each other as existing in multiple states at one time uh, so almost right. like having alternate universe, right? You can just check everything against that. So um, that's why they're so excited about uh, the idea of quantum computing is the uh, superposition uh, and the way that that works. So that's a brief overview of that. Yeah, I have say, like a. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I was, was going to say, say I have a. Go ahead. Well, go ahead. Yeah. No, you got it. <laughs> sorry, man. You're the guest. <laughs> Let's I'll dance. No, go ahead, dude. Well, anyway, uh, like I was saying, though. Uh, the, the quantum computer uses an algorithm called combinatorial optimization, and what this does is it's allowed it it allows the machine to actually scan 
uh, very many different uh, field modalities at once to come up with a the most probable solution to the encryption problem. And it does it in a very quick uh, space of time compared to what your standard supercomputer would be able to do. So by using this, there's various different uh, algorithms they use that fall into this uh, combinatorial optimization uh, algorithm category, one of which is called Monte Carlo, and that's one that uh, the uh, D-Wave computers use. Uh, and it comes to the the best possible solution given the data set that it uses for uh the uh, the the thing that it's studying in question in this case it would be the encryption so it would look at uh, this encryption and say okay we've looked at and deduced all the possible outcomes of this and this is the one that most closely would match what we would expect so in doing that they they usually fall within a very very close proximity to what it could be like something like a 99.8 percent uh, rate of uh, being correct with it. So with these algorithms, they could do that. And that's how they use the quantum computer because it does operate on a separate set of principles. So it could do these computations extremely uh, quickly as compared to how a standard computer would operate. And it doesn't have to do as many different calculations per second as like your standard supercomputer would because it has this this ability to scan these different uh, system states at once, the, this uh, different superposition property that it has. So in doing so, it, it kind of it works a little differently than uh, your regular supercomputer would work. So yeah, which works on a linear so, process. Yeah, right, right. It doesn't use that linear process. So because of that, it's better at certain tasks like breaking encryption. Well, again, that's and that's the way it's described to us. I mean, I, I, clearly, Wayne and I understand the, the principles of it, uh, but I'm always suspect of everything that they tell us when it comes to this sort of uh, bleeding edge technology, uh, much like, uh, you know, Elon Musk, Neuralink, Poppycock <laughs> and that sort of thing. Um, I, I don't buy much of what they tell us. I think there are aspects of... You don't like of, the story of the three uh, little pigs? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to huff. And I'm going to huff. <laughs> and I'm going to put a rocket and ship in space. I'm going to blow your neocortex down. That's right. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has to be, it, you know, it's real because it, it seems so fake. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, but yeah, so just in terms of the whole quantum computer thing, that's the way it's described. And um, uh, Wayne did a particularly elegant job in describing, describing the way that um, the premise works. But uh, again, I'm, I can never be 100%. When, when Jordy Rose said that uh, it was like a, um, an altar to an alien god, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, uh, okay, when he said it's like you know summoning demons, I'm going oh, okay. or the you know the old ones uh, from you know Lovecraft. It's like okay, yeah, they're they're you, up to something a little different than what they show on the surface with that stuff. That's all, yeah, I mean, that's all I'm ex- saying about exactly. That. And, and you know when I when I compared it to kind of like mul- you know multi dimensions uh, and that there are parallel universes, they say that very clearly uh, in, in a ter- in a term that says that they're contacting alien. Um, intelligences and asking them questions. I mean, that's kind of what they're saying, like openly. Uh, so again, they could be doing anything uh, really weird with that. But they're not going to tell you the truth. I'll tell you, my experience is pretty much everything they tell you uh, is at best misdescribed or, or it's a complete, you know, poppycock. So uh, in some way or another, it's going to be misdescribed. Either it's a few degrees off or it's nearly 180 degrees in the other opposite direction. I don't trust anything that they tell us. Yeah, and just for 
you know, a little bit of evidence for people to understand uh, why they would use quantum computers for, you know, these encryption purposes. Uh, there's a company called Temporal Defense uh, Systems that's in Langley, Virginia, and it's a, a big government subcontractor that actually owns a D-Wave quantum computer. So... <gasps> Yeah, so they, they, they will ante up money for something like that if they have a purpose for it. So hmm. if they're going to spend the kind of cash on that thing that they did, I'm sure they got a good reason for it. And you're talking... How much uh, one of them the things cost? About three things is About 10 to $20 million, somewhere <laughs> in between there. Million dollars. Hmm. <laughs> sorry, Wayne, carry on. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm always carrying on. You know that. But <laughs> anyway. you're a member of you're a member of on and on and on. That's right. Well, yes, because I'm yeah. friends with you. So I you have to, you have to be for yeah. those who don't know on and on and on is a support group for the friends of people who talk too much. So with that being said, uh, you know, I, I'm part of that group because I yes. am friends with the great Baldini and he does tend to go on and on at times. I can be circumlocutious so, at times. Yes, uh, indeed, you can. Multitudinous vocabulariousness and you know all the good stuff that goes with it. All all those things. So I'll shut up now. I I can't miss your vocation because the vocabulary had you. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, if Baldini was a dinosaur, he'd be a thesaurus. Thesaurus Rex. (laughs) (laughs) I knew we'd get there eventually. The, the first the first rule of the Saras Club. <laughs> Don't yes, play with synonyms. No ab hominem attacks. You do not discuss, uh, ver- be l- verbose, <laughs> disclose, <laughs> or other or otherwise parameter. <laughs> you can't get by it. What is that? That was a triple entendre, yo. Uh, Sorry. Um, Yes, we do not talk about, discuss, converse about, or chat. (laughs) Allude to. Allude to. Allude to. No illusions. Or otherwise disclose the the presence of the Sawyer's Club. That's right. Ever. Sorry about that. Yes. Someone thread. Anyone see the thread laying around? (laughs) Uh, We lost it. uh, it If they would like a more... Uh, if uh, who was asking in the chat, if if you want my take on the quantum computers, uh, based on that you can write code on a standardized computer and for quantum computers, and also that when you look at the data sets that quantum computers provide, you do it on a normal computer system. Uh, my understanding of quantum computers is they're nothing more than it's like a supercomputer. It's basically like a Hadoop loop or a Beowulf cluster that is running multiple virtual machines, but instead of just working in the standard, like you were saying, linear fashion of input, process, output, uh, basically they have a virtual machine or multiple virtual machines that take input and then they randomize parts of it. And then the next virtual machine tries to process it. And if it's not good, it gets rid of it, and if it is good, it actually writes it to a file. And basically, the difference between it's it's working on uh, AI. Basically, quantum computers write their own software, but they do it with basically chaos theory. They they just run through multiple binary images, try to run them, 
if it runs, it then gets put into the output file. And once it comes up with its destination type of whatever they want, once it's created it, you know, they say they're you know, like t- connecting the alien gods or whatever, but it's literally nothing more than that. It, it's just randomized uh, binary images that they are finding actual functional code in and, you know, saying that it came out of the thin air because it, it, it did, you know, in theory, it did come out of thin air and the quantum machine did uh, do it. But it's not, uh, it's not some supernatural thing. It's, it's not, in my understanding, it's, well, I, you know, I'm, if I'm you can run that, that shit on a normal computer, yeah. it's a normal computer just writing its own code, and it's doing it in a, and like I said, in like an extreme chaos fashion. It's just throwing a bunch of bu- a bits into order, uh, digital. Sure. And James, I wasn't explicit. I wasn't explicitly <laughs> implying that it was other than, uh, those people are a little bit creepy. No, I mean, it does take on a logical sort and, uh, that's, you know, that's the intention. I mean, again, uh, I understand the, the I, processes of it, just that it, um, um, they, they, every, when they describe certain other functions, um, it does seem to be, again, um, that they get kind of lost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm so glad that he said what he said because I don't accept quantum computing as described. I think it's demonstrably nonsense. It's more of this bluster that we're magicians and we got the magic and you don't. What you got is the power to influence. What you got is a hell of a lot of data to abuse. Um, but the magic of it, it's it's not there. These ideas of right. entangled particles and all this, I, I'm not buying Right. It definitely, uh, in my view, does not function exactly as described. Uh, It is a real device and it does get real results, but uh, how it functions is completely misdescribed. And, you know, that's the case because they describe it in terms of quantum, which basically uh, you can throw the term quantum out the door. Spooky language, maybe? It doesn't mean mean anything other than, like, if you were to just put the word magic in front of it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There it is. Yeah, it's more likely that some dude at a table said, you know, this binary is pretty good. What We've if we got a magic computer and you don't know how it works. <laughs> how about trinary or quadrary? That's got to oh. be better, right? You know eight what? Basin. If we use zeros and ones, we can use zeros, ones, and twos. <laughs> we can go eight base and we'll be octogenarians. So what if we just use nine and 11 all the time? Hey, that's super great. <laughs> that's I a love great it. idea. Wait a minute. I love brilliant. It. Perfect. Yeah, it's just, I mean, in the same way that, again, J-Mo mentioned that um, the principle, you know, part of it is based on uh, chaos theory, which, again, is a bit of a misnomer because there is no real randomization um, within, you can't just, like, random number generators kind of don't. <laughs> you start with a premise and it's algorithms thereafter. And it can um, randomize, right? Uh, but uh, you still, there's still patterns that, that develop. And um, it's a really interesting, um, you know, thing because mentioning earlier uh, about, you know, the monitoring of everything and how that creates sort of, uh, and Crow had explicitly said, right, creates sort of this um, uh, overmind, if you will, right, sort of this um, this collective uh, mindset. And there's, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but a fascinating paper uh, that I read about uh, that he was looking at uh, trends in 
um, and he had some algorithms that look at basically trending things and uh, discovered that there was a corollary relationships usually between four between four and fourteen or so months out in front um, that when people would begin uh, talking about certain things he would find uh, that something would happen um, unrelated but still um, you know tangentially related uh, to those things within four to fourteen months thereafter the, uh, that it began trending and these things would be um, sort of uh, again organically began trending on their own um, fast Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Right. And all these things on, you know, the face of it, here's here's how they really operate. It all operates on game theory principles. Yep. That's that's the bottom line. Uh, this is the thing. So it's a trick. It's an illusion. But how do they do it? They do it through different game theory models. And that's how all these things work. And dumbing you down and working very diligently to try to change the fabric of what this place is. This place is built on vibration. It's provable. Mm -hmm. So all this vibration screwing with um, introducing frequencies that do not exist in nature and then blanketing the world with them, it's all an attempt. And I'll say it again, this is unsustainable. This is going to fail big. Um, just hopefully we don't do 50 years of this nonsense or 100 years, God forbid. Uh, but there, there's no way that this is getting pulled off well you make a good point crow because ultimately if you um you know put enough uh, uh interference into that wave you'll collapse the waveform altogether so I, I would suggest that nature is perfect in its delivery and if they push hard enough on what they're up to um a stiff wind will blow somewhere and we'll hear on the news one day a bunch of buildings fell down and everything's different now yeah, and that might look, uh, you know, in the beginning stages of it, like, say, I don't know, birds attacking a 5G tower or something. Hey, I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I, kidding. I took photographs of that. Absolutely. In very, two, two different flocks of different species of birds attacking the same guys installing a 5G Were tower. They, they wanted no part of it. <laughs> I kept them in a jar. Rose will get that joke. <clears throat> uh, J-Mo, we were having a conversation the other night, and you had said something to the effect of, and I don't remember exactly how you worded it, but basically that Edward Snowden was a piece of shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, if he did that, they would have killed him. There's no way he would have got out of there alive. There you go. Yeah. In there's, my there's, opinion. Do you know there's, what a flower, yeah, like, there's a flower in a rooster. To be physically a part, like, if, to be in the belly of the beast and think you're going to come out uh, unscathed with like you're gonna steal information from the inside of the NSA and make it out alive. Okay, sure. I give it. I give it every possible. I give it every possibility that that Ed believes he's doing. He did that, uh, but he didn't do that without them giving him giving them him oh, exactly. It might what have they, been the same as Alex Jones breaking into Bohemian Grove. How about that? It's yeah, like, well, maybe I got the documents. Dollars to donuts. Both of them are holding SAG cards. It, it's very possible. Again, I, I leave the realm of possibility open on both ends. Uh, but you know, he, either either he's a useful idiot and believed he was doing something, and he kind of pushed him into it. Like, uh, or, or again, I would play it about the same as, um, oh god, uh, Lazar, Bob Lazar. Mm. Um, oh, oh my Let's you know, show him the again, space aliens. <laughs> 
So again, he may have believed, right? Uh, he may have been already um, emotionally and mentally compromised, and so they brought him in, showed him some stuff, knowing that he would go out and, and tell, and he told exactly what they said. That's a possibility. And then uh, he I just, becomes he, best friends with an ex-CIA operative that holds more pilot's licenses than any human being. And Lear. by the way, his yeah. dad invented the Learjet. Yeah, Lear. Like some more fairy tales, we can do Jack and the Beanstalk. And by the way, guys, there's no such thing as an ex-CIA operative. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, Jason. Just to clarify. Jason, Everybody's seen the movie Meet the Fockers. Well, we were going to tell the tale of WikiLeaks because to this day, people are wandering around in a haze. WikiLeaks is a put-up. It's a provable put-up. And when you understand that mainstream media made certain that everyone knew how the site worked before there was ever any inkling that mm -hmm. anything had been leaked, um, we should tell that tale, Jason, at some point. The whole wiki, it's just such fraud all the time. If you hear about it on the news, oh, why are you listening? If it listening? was real, it wouldn't have been on the surface internet. No, right? no. I thought I, I thought old Julian up. was just that good of a hacker. Right. Yeah. Julian standing there, what's this red dot on my chest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So, is anything that you uh, that, that appears in the media uh, and has a spotlight focused on it for you know certainly any length of time, and it's there because it's supposed to be there exactly the way that <laughs> they want it to be. There's nothing; it's not organic in any way. We right, prove we've demonstrably proven that over and over. There's no accident in politics. There's no such thing. It's it's uh, all planned. Well, here's the thing. It, what Crow and I have broken down multiple times. We know how the news works. So if it's getting out there, and we've just said the same thing over and over again, if it's being pushed, it's because it's, there, there are people who want it to be pushed and they have the means to do it. And again, organizations like PR, Newswire, and BusinessWire and all them, they are giving your local news stations their little video bites of what to say and give it the local flavor so that all the ding-dongs in, in Hee Haw Land go, oh, yeah, that's right. Wakey Lakes. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's we're running low on time. I'm sorry. Yeah, just say it's not only uh, pre a prepackaged fast food, but it's already been pre-chewed. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh man, and it's already been shit out. They're basically exactly. just shitting in our mouths. I was just going to so gonna say that, Jabo. They've already uh, digested it, and it comes out as poop. Yuck. Yeah, super exactly. good. Um, I wanted to mention, guys. You guys uh, talking about you know everything is frequency. Uh, talking about the singularity. And talking about 5G, uh, you know, I've often said that our reality is built upon two entities, uh, that of physical matter, and that physical matter uh, is defined into our reality by the frequency of energy being, it's being subjected to. Uh, I feel like the singularity uh, 5G, they're trying to make a higher frequency because ideally they are trying to separate everything back to its original form. The synchronicity is going to be when energy and matter separate and go back to the origin, ground zero of our existence as a theory. Well, I think at this point, if we went back to the oldest authors who knew how everything was put together here and the things that mattered. We can demonstrate what vibration does, how form is created, and the keynotes hold it all together. We can demonstrate beyond argument that the table of elements, are they're not elements, they're combinations of things. Um, when you begin to understand all these things, you understand that nature is perfect in its delivery, and you could, you know, I'll excuse anyone 
who wants to have the God argument because it's almost like there's a God playing a guitar somewhere and the vibration echo of what's being played in that astral plane is creating the form of this place to be kind of whoop-de-doop-de about it. But it's, it's demonstrable. So what happens when a place like this, however it got here and it's perfect delivery, starts getting reverse engineered or not even that, screwed with on a vibratory level, which is the creation? Um, and you really have a couple choices. They could pull it off or they can't pull it off. So what it really comes down to is are human beings special? Do we have a divine spark? And I say we do. And I further say that some clever corporation isn't going to be the crushing of that spark. But the 5G thing, it's not just us getting messed with. All the birds, the bugs, the plant, just everything. How many the people bees. have seen the pictures where the antenna goes on side of the house and half a tree is dead? Yeah. Um, that's a reach too far, right. um, and it's not gonna. It, it will not stand. Um, it's unfortunate we all got to go through this, but I, I am not worried in the least that in the long run this is going down like the fake Titanic. And this is going to lead ultimately to a, another t- Tower of Babel moment, in my view. This, this is exactly what's going to happen. Uh, you know, they actually succeed to some level with this for a short time. Mother Nature is going to fight back and it's not going to be pretty for, uh, you know, the, the technocrats putting this this grid in. It's it's not going to stand. I mean, all you have to do for a perfect example of this is look at the example of Chernobyl. I know they push it all the time, you know, oh, nuclear meltdown and this stuff. And regardless of how you feel about the whole uh nuclear theory behind it all if you go and look there look nature has flourished there and grown back over like all of the man-made structures and everything there it's it's back better than ever before and and that's the thing i mean nature is going to overcome that's the thing we cannot fight against uh essentially the creator (laughs) that's what it is it's the the energy that puts this this natural place into motion and 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 sets it the the source of it that's the thing i mean they're they're deluding themselves if they there's, think that they could fight against this and still win there's basic touchstones that are principles of human existence as far back as we can say and one of those touchstones is telling the truth matters righteousness matters these concepts in every every culture that's ever been and every spiritual endeavor that's ever been these have always been the higher things and what we see now is lies, nonsense, and complete bullshit piled out all the time to create the situation that they've gotten to here. And it's not going to stand. Um, it, w- it takes far too... To do what's gone on here takes so much effort that it has taken hundreds of years just to get all these systems rolling. Um, when we go out in the street, it's been so carefully thought out that your neighbor's now being a pain in your butt. Hey, you put on a mask. So a person who has no dog in the fight is now policing you because they're so brainwashed by the systems around them. But the point is, is that what built it lies. How many hundreds of fake, well, I guess I shouldn't say it for the sake of Jason's channel, but <laughs> the last three years, how many fake events did we see to set the stage for everything that's gone on in the last two decades? Since the 60s, how many lies at a level... Look at just the moonshot as an example. A lie at a magnitude that is almost unimaginable, and then let's get back to the description of the Earth. Regardless of what you believe, I would say probably more than half of the informed world right now understands the description of our world has been a lie, along with everything else. And this is 
this is doomed to fail. Being truthful does matter. The truth will set you free. And if you want to go the other way far enough, I imagine the fall is going to be spectacular. Well, before we run out of time, JMO, is there anything else about the interwebs you want to uh, tell everybody? Uh, no, I'm guessing uh, other than be conscious of what you put out there and just imagine that anything that you're putting out there, you know, it's already probably too late. But uh, from this point on, I would say everyone be conscious of, you know, your interactions, especially, uh, you know, if you find yourself one of those people that like to get on comment sections and act in a way that you wouldn't in public in front of other people, that, you know, being an ass, there's a record of that. And it just makes you look, you know, less than whatever. So Crow always says, you know, don't be online. Online. It, it makes and, you, it, you put a target life. on your own back, right? I mean, that's basically what you're saying. You're putting a target on your own back because it is easier. And you're making a permanent record of it. Right, exactly. Right. It, 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 it's another example of the truth matters and being righteous or correct or humane matters. And when you're acting that way, you're basically you're waiting for a fall to come along. And that will be one of the excuses. Right. And, you know, people are kind of desensitized to... You know, if you wouldn't do it, they're like, oh, it's just the Internet. Well, no, those are real people. Those are real people. If you wouldn't say that to a person's face, don't say it on the Internet, right? Right. So why don't we wind this up with how you said the Internet is the ultimate trash can and that things never truly get thrown away. And why don't we wrap everything we were going over up with that before we run out of time? Exactly. Uh, The Internet is nothing more than the most organized trash can. Every I thought it was a dumpster fire. It's out there. <laughs> that sounds like you know, California like to me. Trash <laughs> compactor. Yeah, it's kind of like a trash compactor because that trash can never gets emptied. Right. Exactly. That's why they need more space and more bandwidth. And I want you guys to think about this. Do you guys realize that the internet consumes more resources in, in the world than us driving cars and all of these things? Because these computers, these server stations consume electricity 24-7 as well as the towers that pump all the data and all of the massive lines that are pumping data, all these nodes are powered. And that is why electricity, that is the major draw on electricity. It's the internet. So going green and shit, get rid of the fucking internet. Wouldn't it be amazing to wake up one morning and be informed, guess what? The northern lights have been seen over Utah. You know, (laughs) by the way, all the servers went down. (laughs) Right. Oh, and by the way, uh, if you drive a Tesla, it takes more fossil fuels to charge your Tesla than it does to fill your car up and drive. You get more miles out of less fuel in an actual gas car than using, you know, because all electricity is generated by fossil fuels. I don't know if everybody knows that or not. Coal, fuels, like that's how electricity is made. Predominantly, yeah. Uh, Basically, Teslas still run on fossil fuels because that's where electricity comes from. I'm just saying. Except and not also, <laughs> I mean, well, it's, exa- it's, well, I mean, people it's, call it's, them, yeah, we'll say exactly. petroleum distillates, petroleum there, there distillates. You, is the there you go. There yep. we go. Our crude oil products. But uh, also, uh, let me think, anything else that I wanted to throw out there? Eh, I think I'm good. I think I'm good, guys. Jamo, is there anything you want to plug of yourself? Uh, I don't know. I know you have a YouTube channel, but I don't know what else you do. But let's let's start doing our wind down here. Go ahead and go first. Uh, yeah, man, I'm, 
Yeah, I'm just on. I'm not really on YouTube to like gain a following or anything. I just do me on there. So that's if you search J space M O all capitals. That's me. You'll see me with the gas mask. If you're interested in checking out my YouTube channel, uh, other than that, nah, I don't want to share too much on the internet. <laughs> okay, and you do live streams right. on a regular basis with friends chit chatting, right? I do. I do. Uh, on a somewhat regular basis, uh, you know, when I'm not busy uh, hacktivisting or on the <laughs> deep web doing, uh, you know, deep web stuff work. <laughs> right. Okay. Cool. Well, so, thanks for know, coming on with us, man. That's all for me. Appreciate it. Yes. Yes. Man. Baldini, what do you Thank got coming you. up? Uh, well, as always, uh, every Tuesday and Thursday morning, tomorrow's Thursday morning, uh, be with uh, your lovely Rose 777 on her backup channel, Rose 777 2.0, uh, for the Poppycock Report, also streaming live on DLive, uh, as well as, I think, the Secrets of Saturn group on Facebook. Uh, and then, we, of course, uh, she will uh, post a premiere of it uh, later. But if you want to join the live chat, you can do so. It starts at 6 a.m. Pacific. That's 9 a.m. Eastern time. That's every Tuesday and Thursday morning with Rose 777. And that's the Poppycock report and of course i'm back on saturday morning uh at 9 a.m for unintended consequences sunday morning 7 a.m for ancient wisdom for modern world and wayne mccrory uh, also will join me this uh, sunday evening at 5 p.m pacific that's 8 p.m eastern for sola scriptura and the secrets oh, of saturn forget, will I'll... be the secrets of snoring while the poppycock uh, report is going on <laughs> yeah <laughs> you've got it going on uh, and also don't forget if you want to uh if you capture some images uh that, that come up interesting um, in what we were talking about earlier and i'll try to to put up another little um thing about that uh, probably tomorrow evening uh and i'll probably mention it during poppycock report uh, again tomorrow I just posted that in the chat nine the nine eleven photo project at gmail.com uh, you can email me and i'll give you uh, access to a, a a folder that you can drop that stuff into and if everybody hasn't subscribed to Wayne and you uh, have a mind to do something good in the world, please do. Wayne, tell them about your YouTube channel <coughs> excuse me, and all your other good stuff going on in the world. All right. Well, people could check out uh, my YouTube channel, Alchemical Tech Revolution. Um, I'm very near subscribe. the 1,000 mark. So if people would subscribe to that, that would be great. And uh, if they do so, uh, I do intend to uh, start producing more material on there. Uh, I'm almost finished with my third book. It should be released uh, by the end of the month here. Um, so that should be coming out real soon. And uh, a couple other things, irons in the fire going on, but uh, I'll be announcing some more of that stuff uh, at a later date. But uh, anyway, and I'm here every Wednesday night with Jason on Secrets of Saturn, and I do make uh, regular guest appearances on Crow 777 Radio as well. So... Um, you know, I could be found all of those places if people want to get in touch with me directly. It's uh, alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com or check out my Facebook page, Files from the Conspiratorium. Well, the Birdman made it all the way through with us. Crow Triple Seven, we've got a uh, quite a show we're dropping in about two hours. Why don't you tell people about that? Right. Actually, Eastern Standard Time, it's about an hour away, so about a minute past midnight, um, So because I always release on Thursdays and Saturdays for a reason. Um, we're going to release uh, episode 250 that we just did with Mark Passio covering the quadrivium and the trivium. Um, these are the basic roots of how people who knew things used to be educated back in the day. Uh, when probably a young person in fifth grade was walking away with more math than most college students are going to get in their lifetime. We've fallen a long ways. And it is these books 
that prove outright the way the world really works and that Einstein's poppycock, no different than Julian Assange or any of the other things we've been told. Um, it just tells you the way this place is built, comes together, and the things that really matter. And from that, a human mind can go in many directions. And that's one of the things that's been missing from our world lately is, uh, is real innovation. But there it is, 12.01-ish, 2.50 will go live Eastern Standard Time or NYC time. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for being here. I know we had over 500 in the, uh, the YouTube live stream and 100 and something on DLive. So that's pretty good. Glad to see all you folks tuning in, and uh, we'll see you soon. Take care, everyone.
Thank you. 